Welcome to the Future of Internal Communication podcast. I'm Jen Sproul, CEO of the Institute of Internal Communication. Our organisations face an onslaught of challenges across the social, economic, political and environmental spectrum. The systems we've used to support 21st century ways of life are weakening. The way we work requires dramatic transformation in response to these challenges. Internal communication is a crucial function that helps organisations achieve lasting change. This podcast explores the intersection between internal communication and the future of work. Every conversation is curated to help internal communicators better understand the risks and leverage opportunity. We really hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Future of Internal Communication podcast. I'm your co-host, Kat Barnard, and today, sadly, I'm only joined by Dominic Walters because Jen Sproul has had to leave us and go off and do something else. But nonetheless, I am delighted to welcome our guest today, John Rennie, all the way from the US. John is chief executive of a company called Peak Demand, So for us, it's a novelty because we don't often get to chat with CEOs of organisations. But actually, what I hope will be of most interest today is the lessons that John has to share with us from his time spent serving in the US Navy for some time. He was a nuclear submarine officer who made seven deployments during the near end of the Cold War. And so what he's learned about communication and specifically leadership communication from those experiences, I think translates brilliantly into some of what we as internal communicators can offer by way of strategic value to our primary stakeholders, both our leaders, senior leaders, C-suites, etc., and the co-workers and colleagues that we seek to serve. So I'm really looking forward to diving into the conversation with John. And if you like what you hear today, I would also add that John is the author of three best-selling leadership books, which I know he will share the details with us towards the end of the podcast. So let's dive in. John, welcome. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for sparing your time today. I feel like there's no introduction that I could make that would adequately describe the experience that you had shared with me previously of your time spent in the US Navy and in particular, all those times at sea in those enclosed spaces. Um, Tell us what your time in the US Navy taught you about leadership and communication? Sure, yeah. I, my first job out of university, you know, I got a mechanical engineering degree and went right into the fleet. So I went right into 
uh, the submarine force. I got a year and three months of training after university, but then went right to reported to the USS Tennessee as their new reactor controls officer. So you can imagine I'm 20-something years old, very young, uh, showing up to a, uh, you know, essentially a very complicated warship with a nuclear reactor, 24 nuclear missiles, and a bunch of 19-year-olds. And so my first leadership role was uh, that being an officer on that boat. There's, there was 155 total sailors on the ship, and there was a 15 of us who were officers. So it's a small group that were part of the leadership team of this uh, very complicated piece of equipment. And then we, would, uh, we took it to sea. So I, I spent the first five years of my life leading sailors in this interesting work environment. And when I say interesting, it means we would lock the hatches and we would go out to sea for three months at a time. And so you were stuck, if you will, you know, I'll put that in air quotes, you were stuck with the crew that you were deployed with, the leaders that you, your, your coworkers, uh, your boss, you were, you were in it for three months. And what's unique about that environment is it's a very tight and closed in space. So we really got to know the people that we worked for very well, intimately. We knew them, you know, we knew a lot about their lives and what was important to them and, and uh, how, they, how they were motivated, where their challenges were. And so we really had a deep uh, level of knowledge of the people that worked, uh, worked for us. But, and also we, we, we got to know our peers very well. We got to know the people we worked for very well. So we had a deep relationships with, with everyone around us. And being in, a, in that environment was interesting because you couldn't go home at the end of, a, end of the day. If you had a bad day, you couldn't just say, well, I'm just going to relax. I'm going to have a beer and take it easy. You couldn't do that. And you couldn't, if you've had a long week, you couldn't you know, look forward to the weekends because it was a 24-7 business. So you were on stage for that entire time. So it was very, uh, you know, I hate to use the expression, it was a very high pressure environment to lead. In this case, we were an all-male crew. You had a young uh, workforce that you had to motivate to do very difficult things away from their family, away from home. Some people, you know, some people were excited to be there and others were like, oh, you know, this is just my job. And so how do you motivate people that are in uh, in an environment like this and keep them excited and engaged and, you know, all the way to go do your mission and then get home safely? Definitely an interesting place to learn leadership. And I'm guessing, I mean, I'm just imagining that actually for some of those sailors who perhaps were, you know, it was their first time, it was your first time, it's all well and good, the principle of going off to work on a submarine, but the lived reality can be somewhat different. And I imagine that for some people, it was actually incredibly challenging. And the other thing that I think about when I listen to you speak is, you know, if you were undertaking that role, what would it have been, like the 1990s, late uh, 1990s? We didn't seem to have the language and the, the kind of the known structures to talk about things like communication styles and how I would prefer to be communicated with. So it must have been to all intents and purposes, just a real suck it and see environment rather than Let's all have a conversation about our preferred communication styles or whatnot. 
Absolutely. But I think you learned it, uh, you know, um, it was like uh, on-the-job training. You learned it on the job. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm uh, right now pursuing a PhD and I'm learning a lot of the theory of leadership, but I've been a leadership practitioner for 30 years. And what I'm seeing is, is that, you know, there are a lot of great theories out there and there's a lot of things you learn as a practitioner. And I would say that in my days on the submarine, I didn't really know a lot of the theory of communication, but I learned practice. I learned what motivated people, how they like to be spoken to, where some sailors needed, you know, a good kick in the tailbone to get things going, where other ones you just needed to be encouraging. And, and so you learned each person required a different level of communication to be able to, you know, effectively lead them. And and you, I learned that just through spending all those hours under the ocean with them. So I didn't really know much in the way of theory, but I sort of learned it hands-on, if you will. And I'm really glad to hear you say that because, you know, not dissimilarly to you, I graduated in the early 90s and immediately, well, almost immediately entered the field of recruitment and workforce planning, which, as you'd imagine, you know, is a is 100% a relationship business. And there is no better way in my mind to learn the practice of mediation than to find yourself in a spot where you have to mediate and find common ground between two individuals who, to all intents and purposes, are at polar opposites of the spectrum of agreement with one another. And I've often reflected that doing, like diving in and having the lived experience of of these very, very human-centric skills and competences are infinite that is an infinitely better progressive pathway than trying to read about it in a book so really interested to hear you share your perspective on the difference between doing and you know the academic theory how do you the things that you've learned over the course of your career you know obviously the military is one environment, but presumably there's lots of ways in which the learnings that you've accumulated then translate into business. T- tell us a bit about, you know, the, the, the key things that helped you when you stepped away from the military into mainstream industry. Throughout my career, I worked 22 years for three global companies. So I came out of the military, went into the corporate life. And corporate life is very different from the military life. It's a pace that's um, so much slower than what I was used to, but it took me a little while to kind of get used to the pace of business, which is, oh, you know, maybe we'll do it tomorrow, you know, whereas everything was today, today in the military. So it took me a little while to get used to it. But um, I had the opportunity after being out for five years to run my first manufacturing plant. And that's really where I got a chance to test all of the things that I learned on the submarine in a business environment. And what I found was, unlike the submarine where we were in a tight space and we knew each other really well, what I found was this real us and them situation that existed in in a manufacturing environment. You had the office people who were situated in two different places in the plant and they had, you know, they had they had free coffee, they had air conditioning, they had, you know, uh, everything, the lighting was good, they had what they needed to do their job. And then you go out in the plant 
And it was sort of the opposite. So, you know, it was dark. They didn't necessarily have the tools they needed. They were, they didn't know what the people in the office did all day long, right? And the people in the office didn't really know what the people on the shop floor did all day long. So there was this us and them situation that existed. And I think it exists in a lot of businesses where there's different classes of people that exist in the business. And so one of the things I was trying to figure out was like, how do I bridge that gap? How do I build those deep relationships like I had in the military with the people that work for me when we have this sort of like two different worlds we live in. We didn't have a shared experience and a shared knowledge of the business. And so I set about trying to build that shared understanding of what our business does, what are our goals, and then how are we going to achieve those goals as a team together? And that was that was sort of difficult, but it was all all in the the you know, the mindset was on the submarine we were all in it together, right? So you know I wrote a book called All in the Same Boat. We literally were all in the same boat, right? And so the most junior sailor was critical to our mission. So if they made a mistake, right, and let high pressure seawater into the people compartment, we would all die. Right. So so even the most the junior sailor was critical to our mission. And yet when I got to this manufacturing environment, you felt like the junior people weren't that important. You know, like we'll just outsource that or we'll these people aren't that important. And, you know, I railed against that. I'm like, wait a second. Everyone here, everyone in this building is important to our mission. And I, you know, set about to try to change sort of our attitudes towards each other and build one team with one goal. Now, John, you mentioned some things there, which we've covered on this podcast before, about how do you bridge the gap? How do you build that common understanding? And I love the phrase about all being in the same boat. So I guess communication is something that links all those three and other activities that leaders have to do. So from your experience, could you give us some practical examples and talk us through how communication helps to build that trust and engagement and, I guess, loyalty as well? What's your experience there? You know, communication is interesting. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. I think uh, in leadership, we often think it's top-down communications critical, and it is, and it's important that we communicate top-down. But I think the bottom-up side is just as important. And I would say that when I took on this leadership role at my first manufacturing plant, by the way, I, I led eight different manufacturing plants throughout my career, but this is my first. And what I realized is, is that I had to communicate effectively. I had to get my message out because we were really trying to build this team together. And so I started all-employee meetings. So every month I would, I would have a stand-up all-employee meeting and would kind of go over the numbers and go over the details of the business. That was sort of a way to try to get everybody on the same page. But one of the things I've realized is, and this is really important, um, you know, in marketing, we have this uh, rule of seven. So it takes you seven times to communicate effectively to a customer. And I learned that when it comes to employee communications, the rule of seven applies. So don't think that you can say something one time and everybody understands and everybody's on board with it. It has to be repeated in, in multiple different ways, in multiple different formats, and not only just communicated, but practiced by the leadership team if you want to effectively communicate that, yeah, this is this is the new way we're operating. This is really important to our business. So I think that rule of seven really does apply when it comes to top-down communication. But the other side, the other side that was something that I that I was lacking, I, I had to, really had to try to figure out how to do it, 
which is how do I do the bottom-up communication? We, we had that on the ship. We had really good bottom-up communication because we were with our sailors all the time. So I did some things. I did a thing called Fridays on the Floor, and this was probably the most effective things that we uh, thing that I did in, the, in that first plant. And that was the first Friday of every month. I would actually go out on the shop floor and work side-by-side side with my employees for four hours every day, or every uh, month I would do this. And what it was is I would I would switch different departments, but I would work side by side with my employees and I would hear their stories. This was just very similar to like being back on the boat. Hear their stories, hear about their families, hear about how long they've been with the company, hear about here's what's wrong, here's what here's what needs to be fixed, here's what procedures are are, are messed up, here's where we could save some money if we tried something. So suddenly I spent time on the shop floor and suddenly there was this wealth of information that was out there that wasn't getting to the top before. And the way I did it was I brought myself at the same level and shared a common experience with my employees. And that's when they shared, they were more open and shared the information about what was really going on in the business. So it took me from getting out of my office getting out of the you know the the ivory tower if you will and walking and spending time with my people and that's when i really learned uh, I, I got to know them they got to know me and eventually we rolled this out to the entire management team would spend the first friday of every month 4 hours on the shop floor in different departments and that's when we started building a bond and we started building that team because it was about us having a common shared view of the business and not an us and them view of the business. So that was a big part of how we improved our communications and our relationships within the business. That's very interesting to hear because we train a lot of leadership groups. And when you walk into a room with a bunch of leaders and say, look, we're here to talk about communication, there are two fears. One is they're going to be recorded, but the other one is uh, you're going to make us into propagandists. And I think a lot of leaders seem to think that leadership communication is about having the articulation skills of Obama. And obviously that helps if they have. Yeah. But the key part is around conversation, which in our experience is very hard for leaders. So you sent your team out to do that. How did you equip them to have the skills to have good conversations? Because I know sometimes they can become a bit like a royal visit where a leader goes around, sees the same people, asks the same questions, doesn't really hear anything, and then goes back to his or her office. How did you get over that and give them the right skills? So I would say this is that it's 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 change, and change is difficult for everyone. And so, yeah, in the beginning, everyone was nervous, like, you know, what, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? And it was, I would say this is, I, I was doing this myself for probably about four months before I would have a meeting with my team. I was like, we wouldn't believe the wealth of knowledge that's out there. And I was excited. I want to share it. And I could see there was no excitement in there. They're like, we don't know what you're talking about because they haven't experienced what I experienced. And so they knew, though, that I was excited and I was learning. And so when we rolled it out, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of concern. This was not comfortable. But yet, I, as the leader, I'd already done it. You know, it's kind of shown light on the path. It's not scary. You can do this. And, and you're going to learn a lot of things. And we're together going to learn a lot of things. And so I think leading from the front is a great example of doing that and shining the light on the path where people are not afraid. But also, you know, encouraging them, supporting them. And then what we would do is we'd come off the shop floor and I would bring lunch in and we would have a conversation. What'd you learn? You know, who'd you meet? What uh, what's working well? What's not working well? What 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 was the aha moment you just had uh, out there? And what was crazy was all this information that existed 
for years, it never bridged the gap from the shop to the offices. We're suddenly coming into the office. We were getting this rich, valuable information that told us where we needed to spend our resources fixing and 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 and, and operating. And and I think it's really unique, but it's something I've rolled out in all the different businesses I, that I ran because I found this to be such a valuable tool. I've never heard anyone else talking about something like this, but you know, maybe there's a book to be written about that. But uh, just this idea of, of getting down and being able to communicate on a, a peer-to-peer basis versus a boss-to-worker basis. Uh, which makes great sense because otherwise leaders become simply broadcasters. Mm. Um, and you could argue that's probably not a good use of their time. Whereas if they have the conversations, if they make the connections, if they unpack information, they're actually doing something of value and, and bringing value to the, the communication. But just on that subject as well, a big debate we've been having recently, and I found that recently there was something in our Sunday Times paper about this as well, about leaders bringing vulnerability. Mm. Uh, and this particular article, it's fresh in my mind, was saying actually it can be a very lonely position for senior leaders. And that loneliness can be reduced by having conversations, but many leaders are fearful of having conversations and fearful about being vulnerable because obviously that could be science or they might perceive it as being weak. So what was your take on vulnerability and sharing and using your own experience to open up other people? It's a great fear of leaders. I know when I got my first plant, the same thing. I thought, well, I'm the plant manager. I've got to be in the corner office. I have to have all the answers. But over time, through this experience of, of being out on the shop floor, I learned that I didn't have to have all the answers, but I had to have the right questions and be willing to listen. And I was relatively young. I was 32 years old when I got that plant. So in a way, I was sort of forced into maybe listening to people more than, say, someone who had been more senior, right? So I was fairly young. And so I I recognized I didn't have all the answers. And I think that's one of the things is a big fear that leaders have is they, they think that they have to know all the answers. But the truth of the matter is, is that there's such a rich knowledge of experiences within your team. If you can lower your ego and be willing to ask questions and listen, you're more likely to get a better picture of the, the what's going on in your business than if you try to control everything from the top and to communicate everything from the top. So, uh, and I think there's authenticity there, right? I think that when we are vulnerable and when we say, I don't know the answer to this, I've never experienced this before, what do you think? And you shut your mouth. I think people recognize that you're you're human and you're willing to listen to ideas. You know, I think this, people want to have a voice. They want to know that their thoughts matter, that their ideas matter. And if we don't give them a voice in business, they get frustrated because they feel like nobody's listening and nobody hears them. So I think part of vulnerability says, I'm willing to listen to you. Your voice is important. Your thoughts and ideas are important. And I think that's that's a trait that uh, we should be talking more about in business. I was going to say, sorry, just to cut across, I think that is really opposite because you know, one of the tasks that I've been undertaking this week, um, John, is to scrutinise the Edelman Trust Barometer report, which is pointing in 2023 to a rising tide of uh, polarised opinion And I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect that that is an acute area of concern for a lot of leaders in business that perhaps kind of leads to a reluctance to go out and engage and listen, lest 
one be chastised or attacked or or whatever but you know this this to me seems to be the backdrop of 2023 that we are increasingly living in our own echo chambers and silos and i think that that transcends any kind of political opinion into you know the community whether that means the locale in which you live or the organization for which you work and you know, somebody has to step in first. And I do feel like it is incumbent on us as the leaders, as the adults in the room, as the ones with, if not more experience, more responsibility. We we have to take that on the chin. That is part of our mandate, part of our responsibility. And I think it's really enriching to listen to the way in which you describe the ways in which these conversations and and more precisely your listening has provided you with so many more kind of stimuli for you know good things moving forward and I guess the cost of not engaging in that discourse is ultimately a business that only has a very limited amount of foresight and adaptability yeah, that's exactly right. And I think in what you touched on, I think it's really important is there 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 is a lot of fear. Uh, I noticed that, you know, working with many leaders over the years, you know, doing this for three decades is that uh, I noticed a lot of leadership behaviors is fear based, right? Fear that I'm, I'm found out that I don't really know what I'm talking about. Fear that someone's going to confront me about a subject that I, I'm sensitive about. Fear that uh, I'll look silly. Uh, fear that I'll lose my job. And fear, there's a lot of fear-based decisions that occur in business. And I would say this, if you're a leader, if you want to be an effective leader, you better have some thick skin because you are the central, uh, uh, you know, you are the lightning rod for everything that is, you know, concerned. Uh, every every employee concern is all your fault, right? <laughs> so once you recognize that everything's your fault, then it gets easier to have those communications with people because, yeah, there are going to be some people that are always going to, when I walk on the shop floor, they'll always confront me about an issue that I made a decision that I thought was best for all the employees and the business, but that person didn't like that decision. And so they're always going to confront me about it. And I will probably never convince them that 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 decision was right, but that's okay. I know in in my heart of hearts, I did it for him and the rest of the employees. I had one one particular employee at a business I ran for eight years just hated me because of one decision I made that was actually good for him. But uh, but it is what it is, and you have to you have to you have to say that you know we as the leader, you're making decisions, and they're not always going to be popular for all your employees, right? And I think that's okay, as long as you're doing it for the greater good of most of the employees and uh, and the business itself, you've got to make those decisions. I mentioned listening. I think it's really important to listen to different ideas and gather those ideas. But one thing that's really important that leaders and only leaders can do is to put the rudder in the water and steer the ship. So after you hear all this input and get all these ideas, you have to have the boldness to make the decision and go in a certain direction. And not everyone's going to be happy about that. So, and, and you can't please everyone. And if you try to please everyone, you're going to be a terrible boss. So you have to listen to the ideas, but then you've got to make the decision that's best in the best interest for the business. Right. And I think that is such an important point to make is, 
It is quite simply that you will never, ever reach 100% consensus. And inevitably, there will be some people who are disappointed in the decisions that you have to make. Brilliant book. I don't know whether you've come across it in the US, John, called Uncharted by an English business academic called Margaret Heffernan. And she talks about the fact that you know, as business leaders, we're never in full possession of the facts. We have to make best guesses a lot of the time with the information that's available to us in that moment and then course correct should that decision turn out to be the wrong decision. And for me, I think, you know, rather than the inertia of either never embarking on these conversations to begin with, or waiting, just being stuck in a zone of forever trying to gain consensus, I think the most important thing is to be able to articulate why you made the decision and what, you know, what the course of action will be if that decision turns out to have been the wrong decision, which comes back again, doesn't it, to openness, humility, vulnerability, and so on. But I, I do think this, this idea, and I'm so glad that we've had this conversation, I do think that this idea of, well, fear, as you said, and this inability to integrate as many perspectives as possible arises from an assumption that in order to move forward, you need to have consensus. And I don't think that's realistic in any walk of life. No, it's not. And I say this in my books, and it's really important. Leadership is a people business. And then I will, then I will say this shortly after that, that people are messy, right? Um, and I mean, leadership is this, it's, right? It's motivating a group of people to do something very difficult, right? And get some, some goal done. And, and people are messy. They're messy animals. We're creatures of habit. They operate based on fear. They operate based on reputation. They, uh, they have hangups. They have histories. They have, and everyone looks at a problem differently. Everybody looks at a decision differently. And you have to, as a leader, learn to just love that. You have to love the fact that people are messy and people are going to come with all sorts of different perspectives when they're looking at uh, a problem or looking at change. And if you go into it knowing that there's going to be all this variety of thought, then you're not surprised by it and you're able to uh, not be overwhelmed by the fact that maybe 20% of your team think it's a dumb idea to launch a service business. Uh, okay, that's it's good. It's good to know that 20%, but there's, you know, and there's maybe 40% think is the best idea ever. And then there's some that are just in between. And that's, this is going to be for everything that you do. And as long as you recognize that and you're able to process all that, then I think it makes you more effective as a communicator, as a leader, to know that everyone's going to see things differently. They're not going to see things exactly the same way you see it. Uh, John, you mentioned about communicators there. So if I could just change the focus slightly and look at communicators, because the vast majority of people listening to us will be communicators of some sort. And my guess is they'll be nodding in, in, in ferocious agreement with all the stuff that we've said, particularly that you've said. But then they might be thinking, actually, there's some inbuilt contradictions here. Because on the one hand, leaders need to go out and, and engage and be warm and vulnerable. But as you've rightly said, most of them are pretty fearful of doing that, if we're honest. And then the second thing is, as you said, to take your phrase, I thought it was great, 
you've got to put the rudder in the water and steer the ship, but then you've got to do it in a way that's inclusive and take on board people's views. And again, these things are very hard to do, as you said. So look at it from a communicator's point of view. What can internal communicators in particular, what can they do? What are the opportunities for them to help to bring about the leadership you've described? Yeah, I think it's uh, especially when it comes to a change initiative. In most in most cases, I was I'm brought into a plant to turn it around. So there's a change process happening. I think it's being able to help the leader communicate what's happening. So number one, where are we headed? What's the future look like? And then what is it going to be like when we reach this future state? Right. So give painting a, a good enough picture, a, com- a more compelling picture of the future than exists today. So that's really helpful in, in an internal communicator being helpful with the leader communicating the future state where we're headed. The other thing is then the progress towards that uh, that objective. So making sure that they're communicating the quick wins and the progress towards that goal that we're after, that sh- that we're chasing. So making sure that we amplify the good stories of the progress, right, that's happening so that, uh, you know, for example, if there's an employee that does something that embodies the new vision of the company, we want to make sure that gets highlighted in the company newsletter or, you know, or maybe in in an all-employee meeting. So we want to tell those stories of the progress towards the future state where we're headed. So I think being able to really paint a picture of what the future looks like when we accomplish all these things and then and then communicating the progress towards those goals, I think is very, very helpful. And it's it and allows the it allows consistency with the message that the leader is trying to communicate. So those things have always been really helpful for me is like this is where we're headed and here's here's where we're at today towards that objective. And I think that's and, you know, and then even having celebrations along the way to to celebrate those milestones as we we head towards a bigger objective. Those those things are really important. So it's a case of, of clarity, I guess, clarity of message and consistency of message as well. And, and what have you seen as being good support in terms of helping you get out and about and, and, and engaging people in conversation? Um, how have communicators helped you do that? I think it would it would come right down to uh, the employees know before I get there, right? That that, that okay, you know. Friday's on the floor. This Friday coming up, you know, expect, you know, the guys will be out there, you know. And so uh, sort of like setting the uh, tone that uh, this is going to be happening next is what you can expect. And also, I think one of the things is that leaders get really busy. And, and this is a real problem, I would say, is that leaders tend to go to their comfort zone. Their comfort zone is sitting in their office, doing emails, sitting in meetings, you know, doing the things that they're comfortable doing, right? The uncomfortable thing is getting away from their office and getting out and and spending time with the, the shop people. So as much as the internal communicators can take a load off the leader so they can actually physically be present, is very important. And the other thing is, is that, you know, uh, leaders, you know, if you're listening in and you're a leader, I would say this is don't polish your message too much. I mean, I think we, too many times I've seen leaders get up in front of, of, of a group and they, and they, maybe they've got a perfect message and it was been, it's been vetted. Communicators have, have gave them the perfect message to give and it seems fake. And when you are a fake communicator, you're you're not. It's not real, and you're not you're not impacting people like you think. It needs to come from the heart. It needs to be real. And I think communicators can help leaders 
unpack that emotional connection they have with the vision and where they're headed versus just some corporate slideshow. I don't know how many corporate slideshows I've sat through in my life, but they're never effective because the communicator typically, they're not passionate about it. It's just something they've been told to do. Get to the heart of it, get to the emotional side of it, get to the storytelling side of it. That's what's really important. Yeah, and we've seen that in lots of organizations where once leaders make that jump and it's very uncomfortable to ditch the slides share their experience and stories, that the, the impact is massive. So I was going to say to bring this into land, but I guess in light of your past experience, let's take us into doc. I think there are a number of things you said about bridging the gap, about asking questions, about being human, about being, you know, um, not so, not being perfect in your communication so that there's scope for discussion and the scope to frame the stories. So there's huge amounts of things that we've covered for communicators. So let me ask you, John, probably a difficult, a very difficult question. For communicators, what's one thing that they can take away that they can perhaps start doing tomorrow or even this afternoon with what they've heard? Yeah, I would. I go back to what I said earlier. Leadership is a people business. Communication is a people business. You're dealing with people that learn different ways. So that idea of the rule of seven, you, you can't think that you communicate once and you're done. You have to, have I communicated at least seven times in seven different ways for the message to get out there? So don't be afraid to over-communicate. I think we, un, we vastly under-communicate in business today. How many times have I been on the shop floor and I think I've said something, right? And, I, and I've mentioned it many times. And then I'll talk to an employee and they'll say, oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, how did you not know that? <laughs> but, but the thing is, I think we vastly under-communicate in business today. So don't be afraid to over-communicate and, and, and in find various ways to do that communication. And the other thing, too, is make sure the actions of leaders reflect the communication so that's consistent. So when the action, as soon as the actions don't reflect the communication, then nobody believes the communication. It's not authentic. It's, it's, it's fake. So make sure actions reflect the words. That's, that's really important. Wow. Yeah. I just, that was that, what, what a bunch of insights, absolute little gems that you've given us there um, today, John. Thank you so much. My mind is buzzing with, I guess, anecdotal stories that relate to exactly what you have um, shared this past half hour. So I don't doubt I, our listeners would value greatly knowing a bit more about your books and your podcast and where they can make contact with you. So please just give those details to us before we depart today, because I know I, for one, will be taking more of a deep dive into some of the books that you've written. Sure. Everything about me is at my website. It's johnsrenny.com. And everything is there. I have three best-selling leadership books that are there. You can learn more about them there. And then I run a podcast called The Deep Leadership Podcast. And we are in the top 2% podcasts out of 3 million podcasts globally. So it is very popular in the UK, uh, in Australia, in the English-speaking world, I guess. Uh, so yeah, so it's called The Deep Leadership Podcast. And I interview guests from all over the world. So authors, uh, practitioners, professors, and we learn all things leadership. That's all we talk about on the podcast. Wow, amazing. Well, I, I think I can speak for Don where I say we are even more privileged to have had you join us today. And um, I think that you can probably expect some traffic from our listeners as they come and check out the resources that you've created for everyone to, to learn more from. So thank you. Thank you very much. And I look forward to speaking with you again offline at some point very soon. 
Very good. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have, please like it and share it with your friends and colleagues on your preferred digital channels. Every recommendation helps us spread the word to build a better, more connected and inclusive future of work. Thanks for listening.